Amen. Are we ready to, to hear the word? Okay. So to set the tone for my message this morning, I'm going to read from Matthew 28, verse 16, from verse 16, a scripture that we're all familiar, uh, is very familiar to, to us. And so I'm going to start reading from uh, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and it is immediately after the resurrection. So he says this to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And I think that is a very powerful statement in that we worship a king who has all authority. So basically what Jesus is saying is that I have all power, not only in heaven, but also on earth. I have power over every authority. I have power over every so-called God. I have power over everything that exalts itself. I have power over everything, and that authority is with me in heaven and on earth. Then he goes on to say, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And what I like about this particular commandment is that Jesus gives a directive, and he basically says, go. Now, a lot of us here, in fact, all of us, we have a fairly good understanding of English, all right? And when you hear the word go, all right, it's a verb. And we know English 101. What is a verb? It's a doing word, okay? That's how we were taught many, many years ago when we started um, formally learning English. So go is actually a doing word. And so basically what it means is that you move. So when we talk about going, it means you move. It talks about progressing. It means you progress. It means you walk. It means you journey. It's a word that is full of action. So basically what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, guys, now is time for action. I'm just about to return to my Father in heaven, but I leave you with something. I leave you with a command, and that command is that you go. And not only do you go, but he makes he makes it very clear to them, and he, the command is crystal clear. He says, go and make disciples. So he doesn't say, I don't know, just move around the world, move around the cities, move around the towns, and see what you can do. But he makes it crystal clear to them, and he says, when you go out there, your command, your mandate is actually to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ. It's one thing to follow Christ, but it's another to actually be disciplined when you follow Christ. So in other words, discipleship talks about consistency. So a disciple is a disciplined follower of Christ. So what we're saying is that you can wear the T-shirt. You know, I know some Christians, you love wearing these T-shirts. You know, and some of them are written, you know, I'm a friend of God. You know, some of them are written, I don't know, God rocks. Some of them, I don't know, what kind of T-shirts do you have? You've got them in your cupboard, I know. Okay, so you can wear that T-shirt that's written, I'm a friend of God. 
or God rocks, or Jesus is the way, whatever it is, is Christianese, you know, lingo is on that t-shirt. You can even go to bed in the t-shirt. You can even wake up in that particular t-shirt. But do you know what? That still does not make you a disciple. That still does not mean, necessarily mean, that you are a disciplined follower of Christ. You can even wear like these uh, arm, you know, arm uh, wristbands. You know, I remember in my, when I became a Christian, we used to have the WWJD. Is that, you know, what would Jesus do? Okay, what arm wrist do you have these days? You know, I don't know. You can even wear those type of arm wrists in both uh, wrists, you know, on both wrists. But the fact of the matter is that does not make you necessarily make you a disciple. You can even, you know, you can, you can even have all kinds of lingo around you. But again, that does not necessarily make you a disciple. A disciple is a disciplined follower. You see, the fact of the matter is, when we talk about discipleship, discipleship is basically a function of sitting under systematic biblical teaching of the commands of Jesus. Jesus mentions in this particular verse that what I want you to do when you go is you've got to teach these people the commands, those things that I've asked you to observe. So when we talk about discipleship, it is a function of systematic uh, teaching, sitting under systematic teaching of the commands of Christ. But not only do you sit under that teaching, you obey the teaching day in, day out. The teaching characterizes your life and your walk on a daily basis with Christ. And here's another important thing about discipleship. Discipleship is actually forming and basically being consistently in networks of accountability that will act as hedges of protection around your walk and around your relationship with Christ. Sometimes as Christians, and I know some of you have come across people who tell you, you know, I'm not accountable to anybody. I don't need, you know, to share things of my life or struggles and things like that with my leaders or my friends or, pe or anyone else. There's some people who think they are beyond accountability, but a true disciple sits under accountability. A true disciple is accountable to people around, around, around him. So what we're saying is that making disciple is actually a fundamental part of Christ's message. And we have to be very, very clear about that. And just before I go on, I just want to dispel a myth around discipleship. Often when you talk about discipleship, what happens is that people associate it with, with uh, new converts. You know, so you hear people say, well, you know what, especially in church, you hear them say, well, you know what, I, I'm not even going to, you know, I'm not interested in discipleship, in the process of discipleship. And, you know, I've been a Christian for 10, I've been a Christian for 5 or 15 years. The moment and the day you begin telling yourself that you have arrived or that you know everything there is to know in God, in Christ, or in the Bible, you actually stand the danger or you've been the danger of becoming a complacent Christian. And we don't want to be the kind of believer that is in that, in that place. So we just need to make sure that and understand that discipleship is a process that is for all of us, irrespective of how long you've been a Christian. I heard about this, this story. It's a, it's, a tr it's a true story that was told to us uh, um, by, a, by a friend of ours. They were on a plane. And it's the story of a lady 
called Jennifer, who sat next to a friend on a plane. She was over 60 from England and was friendly with twinkly eyes. She attended a mainline church and was an occasional teacher at a school. Her priest was a homosexual who lived with his boyfriend. She thought this was fine and considered other people intolerant for thinking otherwise. She did not believe in, in, moral, in, moral, absol in, in moral absolutes at all. She considered abortion to be kind and responsible. Other religions to be legitimate alternatives. Heaven and hell to be non-existent. The Bible to be fallible and not inspired. Creation to be a myth and evolution to be true. In addition, she was not even sure if Jesus was the Son of God or resurrected from the dead. And yet, here's the scary thing. She considered herself a Christian. She considered herself a Christian, the sadness of the whole matter. And I remember reading this and saying to myself, you then ask when you come across situations like this or stories, real life stories like this, you wonder what Bible do people read in order to end up with all these kind of beliefs? What foundations do they have, if any, in their, in their lives? And you can't help but asking the question, to what extent are people being effectively discipled in, in churches? And here's another story. A newly con converted vice president at NBC, the national broadcasting company, was asked, about, asked how his new faith would affect the moral programming at NBC. He stated the following, all it does is give me peace of mind in my personal life, but whether it will affect my programming, it doesn't. It just makes me think clearer, and that just means that I'll probably think more commercially than I did before. And you see, this is where the problem is. Sometimes what we say we are and what we really do are completely two different things. And this is where, what happens when we don't have properly laid solid foundations in our walk and in our, in, our, in our relationship with Christ, when we're not properly discipled, we end up with all kinds of ideas that are not consistent with the word of God. And the danger as Christians is the moment we divorce our so-called relationship or religion or in, in Christ, with what happens out there, then we're not going to be effective Christians. We come here on Sunday as corporate worship, but we actually do life out there. It is out there in the domains that you're a part of. It is out there in business. It is out there in education. It is out there in health, science, and technology, and sports, and arts. In the media, it is out there that we actually effectively begin to outwork what we know about the Word of God. We outwork the purposes of God in our lives. So at the end of it all, it is crucial that as Christians, we have solid foundations laid in our lives. And and we have to have a continued learning attitude. You never say I'm there. You never say, you know, I've got it. I now know how to operate in my relationship with Christ. Pastor Paul, in the last two messages, he preached on overcoming temptation. And I was thinking about those two messages and saying to myself, probably the most profound messages I've heard in my Christian walk 
We never say we are there. We never say we are arrived. We never dispel the importance of foundations in our lives. Amen. I like what it says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields. This is Paul speaking. You are God's building. And it is encouraging that Paul says to the church in Corinth, you are God's building. And for us believers, if you know you're born again, you're a believer this morning, we know that we are God's building. Paul is calling us God's building. And so if we are God's building, it follows then that God is interested in the foundation of that particular building because it is the foundation that will determine the extent of our impact in the nations. Amen. All right. So as part of our, um, uh, as we continue laying those foundations, uh, basically what we've, we've been doing and we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks is addressing certain foundational topics. And so today, we're actually going to be looking at renewing the mind. Amen. Why don't you say to the person next to you, renewing the mind, an important foundation in our lives. It is crucial if we are going to become properly discipled. In Romans 12 verse 2, Paul is speaking and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and, and, and what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So basically, Paul issues a warning and says, do not be conformed to this world. So it is, means that there is a possibility that if we're not careful, we can be consumed by the patterns of this world. What that tells me is that there are things that the world thinks are desirable. There are things or a way of life that the world thinks we must follow. But Paul warns these particular people, the church in Rome, and says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what Paul is alluding to is that there's a transformation, there's a change, there's a shift that can come by the renewing of your, your mind. Your mind can actually be transformed. Your mind can be, can be renewed. And here's the thing. We know that as a, as a person, we are made of, number one, the spirit man. So the spirit man is our inner man. That's the part that connects with God. And so what happens is, upon salvation, our spirit is immediately and completely transformed, and then it becomes actually aligned to the spirit of God. So our spirit of man, the, our spirit man, the moment we, we save, the moment we accept Jesus as Lord of Savior, that part, that inner part in us becomes transformed. That's great. But then there's also the soul. And when we talk about the soul, we're talking about the mind, we're talking about your will, we're talking about your emotions, we're talking about your imagination, we're talking about the, your intellect. That part of our being is not immediately transformed when we get born again. So that's why it's, it's possible for somebody to respond to an altar call here and receive Jesus as Lord and Christ in their lives, but that does not mean to say that their mind has been changed, that their mind has been transformed, not at all. They actually have to go through a process of renewal in the area of their soul, in the area of their mind. 
So that part is not immediately um, transformed, and this is what Paul is talking about. So when we talk about renewed, to renew is actually to make new again. And what Paul is saying is that when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, your mind has to be refashioned. Your mind has to be changed in such a manner that it aligns to God's original plan. So before salvation, our mind is not, is not aligned to God's original plan and so has to undergo that process of being made new again. So often you'll hear people will say, you know what, but I gave my life to the Lord three months again, but I'm still struggling in my, in my thoughts, in, in my thought patterns or in my mind, or I'm still struggling with certain things. It is because they, they, their mind still has to go undergo a renewal a renewal process. And the word there that Paul uses when he says, do not be um, uh, uh, conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That term transformed is actually used once in the Gospels. You will remember the account when Jesus is transfigured at the Mount. You know, there's a, uh, we talk about the Mount of Transfiguration. And um, when he is transfigured, that word transfigured that is used in the gospel, there is the same word transformed. So when Paul is talking about a renewal of the mind, he's talking about a transfiguration of the mind. It's the same Greek word which is metamorphose. So in other words, when you talk about transformation of the mind, we also can replace that with um, transfiguration of, of the mind. You see, the, the fact of the matter is non-conformity to worldly ideas or worldly desires does not necessarily that mean that your mind is renewed. So it's possible as a believer to not conform to certain worldly behaviors, but that in itself again does not necessarily mean that your mind is, 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 is renewed. So what we're saying is that the Christian or the believer's alternative to immoral thinking or immoral behaviors or an immoral way of life, basically the alternative to that is the triumphant power, is the transformative power of the Holy Spirit that has to come into our lives so that our minds are changed. Our minds are not changed by us. They are not changed by the desires of the flesh. They are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only person in our lives who can actually come and do a transfiguration or a transformative power of change in our lives and in our minds. And when he does that, it is a work that is done from internal to external. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've been struggling with certain struggles in your mind, in, the, in your thought patterns, in your thinking process, trying to erase certain immoral behavior, immoral ways of thinking, I need you to understand that that comes by the power, inviting the Holy Spirit and his power to actually come and do that work in your lives. And it's not something that we can do by ourselves. So when we talk about our minds being transformed, we're actually talking that the, so the transform, transformation of a mind is a profound blood-bought spirit route change from the inside out. It comes internally to external. And so whatever is inside is what we tend to reflect out. 
And you know the incredible thing is, as we undergo a process of the renewal of the mind, when our minds become renewed by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ, you know what? It becomes easy to think what we ought to think, to do what we ought to do, and to follow what Christ wants us, wants us to do. And I believe that that is true freedom. In Ephesians 4, from verse 23, Paul says something incredible. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And what that tells me is that the mind has a spirit. Because Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that means that the mind itself is a spirit. So in other words, the mind itself is, is it's, it's, it's what we call a mindset. So not only does your mind have a view, it actually has a viewpoint. That's why when you make decisions, they all stem from your mind. So the mind not only has a view, but it also has a viewpoint. In other words, it has a way of thinking that it is inclined to. It also means that it just doesn't have the power to perceive or detect, but it also has a posture. So when we talk about our minds having a spirit, it means that the mind itself has a posture. It means that it is a way of existence. It has a demeanor. It means that it is a bearing. It means that it is an attitude. How many of you know that your mind can have an attitude? It means that it is a bent. So in other words, it is, if it makes a decision, this is what I want to do, then often it follows that particular decision. So that our mind is a spirit, and Paul encourages us. He encourages the church in Ephesus and says, you've got to be re renewed in the spirit of your mind because that particular mind, not only is it a spirit, it's got a viewpoint, it's got a posture, it's got a demeanor, it's got a bearing, it's got an attitude, it's got a bent, it's got a way it wants to move. And so one of the significant battles that you will face or maybe even have faced, and if you haven't faced it yet, you probably will face it. One of the significant battlefields that you will face as a believer is in the area of your mind and in the area of your thinking processes. I want to encourage you, and you will, you will notice in your walk and in your relationship with God that the more you overcome in your mind, the more your mind becomes submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit, the more your mind becomes submitted to the power of the Word of God, you are likely to overcome in so many things in your life. So we cannot, we cannot ignore the importance of the renewal of our minds. Amen. So why is the renewal of the mind so important? Number one, renewal of the mind is important because our thinking to, large, to a large extent determines our behavior. Proverbs 23 verse 7, it says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So basically we see that our behavior often stems from what has already been decided in our minds. So that is why it is important for us to ensure that our minds are aligned to the Holy Spirit and that, they are, um, that our mind is renewed because our thoughts, they come from the place of the mind and once we have those thoughts formed, they actually would depict 
our behavior. And we know that a lot of our behavior is premeditated. Is premeditated. You seldom find people behaving in a manner that has not been constructed or formed or resolved or decided in their minds. So we've got to make sure that our minds are renewed because our behavior stems from that. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Renewal of the mind is important because thoughts affect our motives, which, is, which will ultimately be judged by God. In 1 Corinthians 28 verse 9, it says, For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. It's interesting to see that God does not just judge our actions. So you can have or be performing the most well-meaning actions or even acts of kindness to people around you. But we need to remember that God does not look at the action itself, but he also judges your motive. So next time you decide to do an act of kindness to somebody, just make sure that your motives are right because God does judge your, motive, your motives as well. And my question to you is what are your motives when you show acts of kindness to those around you? The third reason why renewal of the mind is important is because its sin stems from evil thinking. In Matthew 15, verse um, 18, I'm reading from the NLT. It says, But evil words come from an evil heart and defile the person who says them. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all other sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. So sin is first conceived in, in the mind. And my question to you this morning is, what is in your heart? What do you think? And I want to encourage you, if you know that there's a way or a pattern of thinking that you, 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 you struggle with, you know, maybe you haven't even told anyone, no one else knows about it. You know, aren't you glad that the, the person next to you does not know what you're thinking about right now? How would you like it if just for, for 60 seconds, God would say, okay, for the, for the next 60 seconds, I'm going to give you an, 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 an unprecedented opportunity to just have sight, you know, of the thoughts of the person next to you. Hmm? Some of you will begin to get worried, eh? What exactly is going on in your mind even as we speak right now? And so it's interesting here that the Bible tells us that sin originates in the mind. And so often we think that it, sin is seldom, some, is, is, is seldom some, uh, that's, that, uh, 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 done or carried out, you know, impulsively. Yes, you do get uh, uh, situations like that, but more often than not, it is generated in the area of the mind first. Renewal is, is important because... Um, our thoughts are exposed by, the, by God's word. In Hebrews 4 verse 12 in the NLT, it says, For the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. And that is why it is important for us to be aligned to the word of God. It is important for us to feed 
but to feed on the Word of God because the Word of God is the standard by which we live by. I think I may have told this story. I remember when I was at, at, at Varsity and we used to go soul winning in the different residences and we used to go in, in pairs. Um, so I remember, and, and then so we'd go like, you know, it was, we used to do this on a Thursday evening and then uh, we'd go out uh, for an hour, come back and then report back. And I remember there was a guy who was telling us of an experience they'd just had that particular evening. So they went to this room, knocked on the door, and the guy opens, you know, allowed them in, you know, it was kind enough, allowed them in. And then they begin to share the gospel with them, uh, with him. And, um, and the first thing they said to him was, do you believe in the Bible and the guy was like, ah, me, I don't believe in the Bible. You know, I, I don't believe in all that it says. And that me and the Bible, we, you know, two different, two different worlds. And then this guy was telling us the story, said the moment this guy said that, you know, you know I just said, we, we just got up and we left the room. So when they were giving the report back, we asked them, why did you leave the room? I mean, I would have loved that particular situation, you know, to just explore and understand, you know, why this person, you know, maybe it was even going to be a door to actually begin to, to, to talk to them about the process of salvation. But he said something that I've never forgotten, and I don't encourage you that, you know, that when somebody says they don't believe in the Bible, then you leave them. Mm -mm. It's actually an opportunity for you to actually explore that further. But he said something that I've remembered over the years. He said to me, even by, you know, the Bible is the, is, is the reason for our message. The Bible is our standard. The Bible is our go-to manual. So when this guy said to me, you know what, I don't believe in the Bible, I was like, I, you know, that just throws out my whole theory, you know. And so, and, and so I found that interesting, but there's a, there's a point of truth. There's some truth in that. There's a whole lot of truth in that. When we feed on the Word of God, what it does, it, it challenges the very things in our hearts, the very things in our mind, in our world, in our emotions, in our intellect, in our imagination, the very things that we've lived by, especially those that don't align to the Word of God. What the Bible does is when you explore the Word of God, when it becomes a part and parcel of your lives, when you actually allow it to minister to you, what it does is it sifts those things that are not of God and you only remain with that which is of God. So the Bible is our standard. The Bible is, the, is, our, is our way of life. And so when we are being renewed, a big part of being renewed in our mind is allowing the word of God, you know, to be to, almost like when you need door, you know, it's actually allowing the word of God to actually be so central to our lives because it exposes those things that shouldn't be there. So that's another reason why renewing the mind is important. So what are some of the things that influence the way we think. Number one, our upbringing. And you, you, I'm sure you will have so many stories about how you were brought up by your parents or guardians or whoever brought you up, that some of the values you hold onto even today, they were instilled during the years of your upbringing. You know, when I was thinking about this, I remember there was something, my mom was, um, uh, she was uh, the fourth sibling in a family of eight, eight siblings. And amongst her siblings, she was the one sibling 
we received or welcomed all kinds of family outcasts into a, into a home. You know, you know, in families, we've got outcasts. You know, the kind of visitors people really don't want, the kind of uncles you don't want in your home, the kind of aunts you don't want in your home. You know, we all have those, eh? one way, or at least one or two in each family. But one thing I noticed about my mother is that those particular outcasts, they were so welcome in our home. You know, my mom would treat them like they were kings. You know, every time, I remember we used to have this uh, uncle who would come from the rural areas. And for some reason, coming into the town, you know, and those days we used to have the 750 mils bottle of Coke, you know. And for him, that was like, I don't know, what, what's the one thing you really enjoy? Maybe for some of you it's like lobster, I don't know. You know, for him, buying him the 750 mils of Coke was like heaven. In fact, whenever my mom would buy him that, he didn't even want to drink it, you know, in a glass. He would literally ask for the bottle itself and keep it by his side the whole day so that nobody messes with it in the fridge or out there. But when I thought about this, and then we had aunts, you know, in a similar position, you know, who were just welcomed in our, in our home. But here's what it taught me. It taught me to value even those who are not valued, to appreciate even those who are not appreciated. Even the, those, you know, often it's so easy to have rich gifts, I mean rich visitors because they tend to bring the, uh, gifts and so on, but even those with nothing. That was part of my upbringing. That's how I see those type of relatives even up to today. I don't know what your stories are, but some of the values that you hold and some of your way of thinking today has to do with um, your upbringing. Another, uh, uh, and another way that influences our thinking is our past experiences, both positive and negative. And unfortunately, what happens with our experiences is either if you've had good like past experiences, okay, they tend to you know, form you for the better, but more often than not, negative experiences in our life what they tend to do is they tend to form roots of bitterness, judgment, anger, and so on. And so sometimes the way we now think today or the values we've espoused today have a bearing um, or something to do with all those past experiences, uh, whether they've been positive or negative. They also shape how we think. Another... Um, uh, a thing that influences our thinking is education and our religious training. Amen. I was educated at a, a, a school. It was a, it was a convent. And basically, it was so academically oriented in, to, in, to such an extent that if you were so good in sport, you were ridiculed. You were ridiculed. And I know there were some, 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 some students in the school who, who actually had to tone down their talent and gifting in sport. And some of you were raised or went to schools where the opposite was probably true. In my school, it was so academically oriented that we knew, we knew that come final exams, we were all going to get A's. It was a matter of how many. How many were you going to get? How many was that person going to get? How many? It was a given. It was a given. And so, and so sometimes, so as a result of that, to some extent, I grew up with this thinking that, you know, if you really, you know, that I, I now, or, you know, I remember like for a while actually believing in the importance of just ac of academic excellence. And to some extent, I still do. 
you know? And so you find that sometimes your education actually influences the way you think or your religious training. When I was in university, I was part of a campus ministry that believed and still believes. This is actually a pastor trace has been that every nation umbrella, even though at that time it wasn't called every nation. But that group of ministries, basically, their belief is that we are here to reform the world out there. I remember being in church when I was a first-year student, being told about reformation, the importance of impacting the world out there. We were told that our mandate was this, Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. It was so drilled in us that when we left varsity, that's all pretty much that we, we really felt, we felt was very important in, in terms of the, you know, the destiny and, and purposes of God. Religious training impacts your thinking. I don't know what your experiences are. So some, some of the way you think, some of the values you have, they're actually a function of either your education or religious out, up, upbringing. Another thing that influences our way of thinking is our personal observations in life. And sometimes they are based on different biases, but the fact of the matter is they shape and form our thinking. Also, our fleshly interests, they impact our behavior, they impact the way we think today. Our role models, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember in 1987, you know, those were the days of MC Hammer. And I remember like the guys in my neighborhood, the way they would dress. I don't know, is that guy still living? Anyway, besides the point, there's a guy, you know, now you know how old I am. There's a guy called MC Hammer. He was a, what, a rapper. Okay. Now, he used to wear these ridiculous pants, you know, like balloon pants, right? And they became the fashion of the day. But not only that, he had this hairstyle that, you know, like when you take an iron and you kind of like iron the top of your, your head and your hair, and that was the, the hairstyle. But it was incredible to see how the guys in their neighborhood just really upheld the way, the lifestyle, you know, the, the, the personality, the demeanor of this particular um, uh, uh, musician. And you got your own stories. Don't try and look at me like you. Yeah. We know your stories. We know you know whom you imitated and, um, and so on. So sometimes role models, particularly those we respect, can also have a bearing on your thinking and how you see, you see life. And then, of course, we have the media probably the strongest influence on how people think these days. Because the danger and the problem with media, unfortunately, is that it tends to give this perception that it, it basically creates in the, in the lives and the minds of people that this is the way you have to see the world. This is the way you have to embrace the world. This is the way you have to receive the world. So our upbringing, our past experience, both positive and negative, our education and religious upbringing, our personal observations, our fleshly interests, our role models, and the media, those things are among those who that actually impact our thinking. So what is the state of man's mind apart from Christ? Our mind apart from Christ is in an unrenewed state. So number one, the unrenewed mind is defiled. Titus 1, verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure. 
But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. And so what happens is that a defiled mind cannot think the thoughts of Christ. A defiled mind does not see things the way God sees it. So the unrenewed mind is defiled. The unrenewed mind is blinded. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, and who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And so there Paul makes it very clear that the God of this age, that the devil himself has blinded the mind of, 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 of the people of this age. So an unrenewed mind is blinded. The unrenewed mind is alienated or hostile to God. I like what it says in Colossians 1.21. And you who, were once, who once were alienated, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So an unrenewed mind is opposed, is hostile to God. It does not want to think like God thinks. It does not want to do like God would want you to do. It does not want to see, uh, you, you, for you to see through the same lens as God does. So an unrenewed mind is hostile to God. That is why it is important that our minds are renewed so that we can become aligned to the fullness of what God desires us to, to be and to, be, um, to do. The unrenewed mind is futile. Psalm 94, verse 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of men, and they are futile. The Lord knows people's thoughts, and they are worthless. So for as long as our mind is unrenewed, it is bound to be futile. The unrenewed mind is set on the things of the flesh. In Romans 8, verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So it follows that the more of the Holy Spirit we have, the more of the Word of God we have in us, the more our minds are bound to think like the Holy Spirit does. The unrenewed mind is focused on earthly or temporal things. In Philippians uh, 3, verse 18, it says, For many walk, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. And that is why, and this is part of the fundamental reasons why we accept Christ as Lord and Savior in our lives. We know that one day we're going to die, but what happens after that? There are certain things, so that is why it's very important to be aware of what you're investing in in this particular life. Are you investing in temporal things or are you investing in those things that will actually enable or help people move in the fullness of what God has called them to? The unrenewed mind is focused on earthly 
or temporal things. And then just as I conclude this message, let's have a look at what is the goal of a renewed mind. So what are we trying to achieve? Why having a, a renewed mind? Number one, our goal is to think like God thinks about everything. I can't wait until I get to that. I suppose it will forever be a continued uh, process to think the way God thinks about everything. Sometimes it is easy to think about God the way God thinks when it comes to a particular or a certain part of something to do with your life. But here, what we, the goal of a renewed mind is that you think the way God thinks about everything. How many of you would like to be in that place? In Isaiah 55, it says, Like the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, for he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. I quite like the way God is often candid with us. He's like, okay, guys, okay, other things being equal. Yes, you can worship me. Yes, you can raise up your hands and worship and so on. But you know what? At the end of the day, your thoughts and mine are, are very different, okay? No, are your ways my ways? You know, so God is like, hey, I really love you. You know, I gave you Jesus. But at the end of it, all your ways are not my ways. That's why sometimes we ask for certain things in prayer and we wonder why our prayers are not being answered. Or maybe the timing, we wonder why isn't God doing it now? The way God operates, his ways are not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The second thing is that our goal is to have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And that's exactly the place where we want to be. You know, I remember, you know, I, you know like, you know, at, at certain at different life stages in your life, you have various scriptures that really are meaningful to you. I remember adversity, you know, in my accounting three exam, like really holding on to this scripture, you know, but I have the mind of Christ. You know, especially when you know you haven't studied enough, you know, and you're walking into the exam room and like, you know, at the end of it all, you know, I have the mind of Christ, you know, but again, God is a responsible God. So if you haven't studied, eh, that mind of Christ, eh, yeah, yeah. We have the mind of Christ, and that's the place where we want to be, to have the mind of Christ in everything that we do, in everything that we uphold in our lives. Our, number three, our goal is to experience true knowledge from God's perspective. Colossians 3 verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you have, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And that is where we want to be, to experience true knowledge from God's perspective. Because often our perspective is not God's perspective. The way we see things is not God's perspective. But that is where we want to get to. Number four, our goal is to have a heart and mind that reflects God's standard and laws. Hebrews 8, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be 
my God. Okay. So you can say to me, okay, Zimbai, thanks, you know, but when I walk out of here, what can I do to have a renewed mind? Number one, we must have a desire to hunger for a renewed mind. And this is one thing I'm learning in everything that I do with God, that at the end of the day, it boils down to your desire. Whether it's the desire in terms of knowing him, whether it's a desire for revelation of God, whether it's a desire for revelation in, in, in his word, or revelation in spiritual things, revelation in intimacy, all those things, everything boils down to desire. That is why you find that it is possible to have three people respond to an altar call, but the trajectory of their journey with Christ differs. And often it's got to do with the desire that they have. And so we need to have a desire or hunger for a renewed mind. Psalm 19, the law of God is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And so my question to you is, to what extent do you really want your heart to be renewed? Number two, we must approach the word of God with a spirit of humility. I've already alluded to, we must be, never be those who say, I have arrived. We must yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must commit ourselves to reading and meditating on the word of God. We must set our minds on the things above. We must dwell on things that are true, right, and pure. We must maintain a daily or continual commitment to the process of renewal. Let's stand and pray. I just want to lead us in a prayer around uh, this, this uh, uh, notion of being renewed in the mind. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you that your word says that we must be those who are, should not be conformed to this world, should not be conformed to the pattern of this world, Lord. Father, this morning we bring our lives before you, Lord. Father, we stand in repentance, Lord, where we have conformed to this world and thought that it's okay, Lord. Father, where we've conformed to such an extent that we actually now think that it's okay, Lord. But Father, I pray that this, this morning you would bring the conviction, you would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would judge us in our minds, Lord. Father, where it's not, our minds are not aligned to your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would uproot that which is in our minds, which is not of you, Lord. Patterns of thinking that we've gotten used to, Lord. Patterns of thinking that we've entertained for so long, Lord. Father, I pray that you bring us to that place where we desire to have a renewal in our minds, Lord. Where we desire to be aligned to your word. Where we desire to be aligned to your purposes, Lord. To think like you in everything, Lord. I ask that you would do this, Lord. You would continue this journey in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.